0: Good to see everybody this morning. For those of you that don't know who I am, which is probably 99% of you, my name is Sam Brooks, uh, and I'm one of your newest members. I think they threw my name up there last week and showed a picture of Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) I'm the beast. The beauty is in Texas taking care of our grandchildren. And um, I thought, maybe you might know a couple of interesting things about myself, and I thought and thought and thought and thought and i got a beautiful wife, I uh, have great children, and 17 wonderful grandchildren. So, pretty good, huh? Not mad for a guy 40 years old. That's the first of a lot of tall tales. No, I'm just teasing today. All right, we're going to look a little bit in Mark chapter 1. I want to read a couple of verses for you. I want to ask a couple of questions. Uh, hopefully, we will answer them throughout the, this morning. But uh, you might be trying to answer them as we go along. Think about them. I'm going to throw one of the first ones out to you is, why was Jesus baptized? Think about that. You don't have to answer it out loud. Especially because you might give the right answer, and then I'm going to go, uh-oh, what do I do now? Okay? Why was Jesus baptized? And then a second question. When Jesus saw those disciples or those men fishing on the Sea of Galilee, and he walked by and he said, Hey, Peter, Andrew, James, John, come follow me. Why did they follow him? scripture says that they, they immediately left their nets, their boats, and followed him. And it goes on to tell you a little bit about James and John and their family. It said, and they left his father, their father, and the hard hands behind. So they had a pretty good gig going in that fishing on, in, in enterprise and, and business. So why did they just up and follow him? Think about that. Hopefully, today, if we look at, uh, get through and, and, and look, we'll, we'll get some answers to that and then maybe make a couple of applications for our own life. But if you will look at me with uh, Mark chapter 1, I want to start in verse 1. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As written in, the I, in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before you, your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance, the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, if you will, drop down to verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being open and the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now afterward, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting their nets into sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets, and immediately called them, And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with them and the hired servants and then followed him. We have here just a picture of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And there are some interesting things that are going on. And as we read them, we just kind of pass often, we just kind of pass over it and say, okay, that's nice. But do we really think about what has just transpired in those 10 or 15 verses that we read? What has transpired that is so dynamic and so different that, that today we call ourselves Christians? We answer the call of Jesus to follow him. What, why was it that they were so willing to do it? And what, what? where did he get that charisma or whatever it is that caused them to fall? follow him? That's the questions we want to look at. Now, later on, after this has happened... It's reported that Jesus goes back and he begins his ministry. He goes into the synagogue and he begins to teach. That's the latter part here of chapter 1. I'm not going to read all those verses. I just want to tell you the story a little bit. So he begins to, to preach. And Mark is excellent at this. In fact, I encourage you to read the, the book of Mark. It doesn't take very long. It's a short book. And I encourage you just to look And perhaps highlight in your Bible or whatever you use for your Bible studies and your electronic devices or whatever. Highlight every time it says something about the crowds. If you do that, you will notice that most of the time it says something like this. They were amazed at what he said. They were amazed that even the wind obeyed him the demons obeyed him and they began to ask the question the disciples did for sure who is this guy have you ever asked who is Jesus really have you ever sat yourself down and just said you know I've got some questions about Jesus I read here but I read things about him but I don't understand I want to know who are you really the Lord Jesus Why is it that you could walk along the side of the Sea of Galilee, call out among the fishermen there, specific ones, three or four of them, and say, follow me. And they get up, they leave their nets, they leave their boats, they leave their occupation, they leave everything, and they follow Jesus. And as you've read the scriptures and the gospels, you know they followed him for multiple years. Why? What would prompt them to do that? Later on in Jesus' ministry, and you'll find this recorded in the 11th chapter of um, Mark, as well as in several other of the Gospels, Jesus is teaching and preaching. And the scribes and the Pharisees come to him, and they say to him, By what authority do you teach and preach the way you do? Who gave you that authority? Now, that's an interesting question because they assumed, the scribes and the Pharisees, that they were the ones who had the authority to teach and preach. And here, this man was teaching and preaching something new. And we're told it's new In the first part of chapter 1 of Mark, when they heard him teach, the crowd said, this is a new teaching, and they were amazed by it, and he teaches with authority, not like our scribes and our Pharisees. Do those questions ever bother you when you read stuff like that in the scriptures? No, nobody ever gets wonders why, why those things are said? Well, I guess I'm the, kind of the only one. I, I get something. Why would they say that? Why did he do that? Well, where did he get his authority? And why was he baptized? And what made those guys get up and leave and follow him for three years? By the way, he didn't tell them where he was going Or what all he was going to do. He told them what the end result was going to be. I will make you fishers of men. Have you ever been called by the Lord to do something? Anybody here? I mean, really seriously. Anybody here ever been called or feel like God is asking you or calling you or compelling you to do something? You just got an invitation by God to do something this summer. Do you realize that's an invitation from God? Now, some of you are going, yeah, I really think God's speaking to me about that. Have you ever? Somebody raise their hand, please. It's okay when I'm up here. I don't know what Pastor Joel likes, but when I'm up here, I kind of like it if you say, yeah, I understand where you're going. If not, let's go home because I, I, this sermon is for me, okay? I, I share it with you because I like you to enter into my sufferings. Okay, I share it with you because I've learned things, and usually it's through the tough end. I don't usually, I mean, i learn things on the mountaintop too, but they're hammered into my life when it's down in the valley. Are you, anybody here can say amen to that? Amen. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. No. <laughs> okay. All right. So I ask these questions all the time. I'm reading the Bible, and I say, Lord, why is that? Why is that? And sometimes I'll get an answer if I continue to read the passage. So this particular question, why was Jesus baptized, hung on me for a long time before I came across some information that when you read the scriptures as a Westerner, you don't have. And When I came across that, I went, well, hello, no wonder. Why did the Pharisees and the scribes test him and call him out? Well, in that story, when they called him out, Jesus answered the question. He said, where would you get your authority to do that? And basically what they were doing, they were trying to bait him. Okay? They were trying to bait him and trying to get him to say something they could accuse him with. They weren't interested in his answer. Believe me. They weren't interested in the truth, but they just wanted to bait him. See if they could get him saying something they could to, to cancel him out. Canceling culture is not new. Okay? We call it cancel culture. You know, that's what they were doing when they, they took on Jesus. They were trying to cancel him, make him of no importance. People won't listen to him. Jesus, being the wise man that he was, answered to them and said, Well, I'll answer your question, but first, let me ask you a question, and if you answer it, then I'll tell you where I get my authority from. Now, does anybody know what he says? Anybody remember? He says, John's baptism. Was that of God. Or men. Now that's a little unique way of giving them the answer and putting it right in front of them and challenging them. Because you see, the scriptures tell us in Luke chapter 7 it said that the people had gone out to John the Baptist, they understood and began to accept the things Jesus was saying. But the scribes and the Pharisees rejected God's purposes for them because they refused to be baptized by John. And in refusing to be baptized by John, they were refusing what God had for them. Because we read right here in the very first part of the chapter... That John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And then we also read that Jesus, when he began his ministry, what was the first words out of his mouth? Repent. For the kingdom is at hand. And believe the gospel. In fact, if you look carefully into scriptures, you will see that all of your New Testament preachers began their ministries with repentance. John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul, Peter, the Apostle John. Repentance. That's what Jesus said. That's what they were, that's what he called them to do. But his baptism was the source of something special. There's a Hebrew word called shmika. I'm gonna have him put it on the screen here for you, just so you can see it's a real word, and I may be slaughtering the actual enunciation of it. I don't know. That's what I've heard. Okay, but it's a Hebrew word that they use for ordination, anointing. You see illustrations of it in the Old Testament. i mean, in, yeah—in the Old Testament, where you see Moses. Um, when he laid his hands on Joshua and he imparted to him his power. You see it also when Moses laid his hands or when God transferred some of the authority that Moses had onto the 70. And you see that. It's the idea of ordaining somebody, giving them the anointing. But it's interesting. The people who anointed Jesus Was who? It wasn't people. God. God himself. God himself came down and resided upon Jesus. It's as if God put his hand on him, actually in the form of a dove. God came down by the Holy Spirit, resided with Jesus permanently. And then he confirmed it verbally by saying, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. I am well pleased. This is my son. Basically, he gave Jesus his anointing for his ministry. And as a result of being anointed like that with Shemekah, the Jews understood that their rabbis, only certain rabbis could give new teaching. And they had to be some kind of a special rabbi with special anointing. And that rabbi had to be anointed by two other rabbis who had the same special anointing in order for them to issue new teaching. Jesus got it from God. And everything Jesus taught was new. Now, why do I say that and where do you see that in Scripture? See if you recognize this. You have heard it said... But I say to you, anybody hear that before? Where have you heard that? Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, multiple times over, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And when he said, I say to you, he put forth new teaching. New meaning new, not known before, not given before, not understood before, not enunciated before. Jesus did not come in and add to, he elevated what God had required. He said, you don't commit adultery. They left, the the, the Hebrews left that on on the plane of experience and reality. Jesus said, oh, no, no, what's in your heart? He elevates it. He takes it to a new level. That's what Jesus did. You've been told, but I say to you, you think if you have the righteousness of the Pharisees, you'll enter the kingdom of God. But I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. A Pharisee comes to Jesus at night, Nicodemus. Jesus says to him right straight up, you must be born again, or you'll never enter the kingdom of God. It's not by the law and sacrifices, it's through faith and obedience. Jesus came along and said this, I'm here, gospel's here, the kingdom's here, this is the requirements. And he gave three expressions. First one: repent. Now that's not new. That wasn't new to the to the people of Israel. Repentance. But you know, I'm finding in my life, I'm finding in life of Christians today, I'm finding in this in our gospel presentation that this is overlooked a lot. We will preach, believe in Jesus. We will talk about Jesus dying for our sins. And we'll say, if you believe in Jesus, you'll be forgiven. But we don't stress and oftentimes don't impart to people the necessity of repentance. What is repentance? Repentance may have all kind of emotions attached to it. Repentance, there may be weeping, sincere brokenness and weeping before the Lord. There may be just a sense of wrong disappointment, breaking the heart of God without weeping. But repentance at its heart doesn't have to do so much with the emotions expressed, though they are part of what's going on in the experience. But it's not so much in the emotions that are expressed as it is what's going on in the mind. The word repent means literally to change your mind. And if you change your mind about something, that automatically means you're getting ready to move in a new direction. And I like to illustrate it this way. It's very simple. Repentance is simply this. I'm moving headlong in this direction. Something happens to cause me to understand this is not the right way. I stop. I'm not going this way anymore. Have I repented? No. I turn, and I go in the new direction, and when I go into the new direction, that's repentance, and I walk in a new way. That's what Jesus said. I've come to make things new. That's why the scriptures tell us, if we're in Christ, we're new creations. We don't walk the same way. We've changed our minds. Oh, no, that's death. I see it for what it is now. I'm going to walk in the fullness of who God is. I'm walking to and with and for and from God. Before I was headlong in myself, I stopped. Now I'm pursuing God with all my heart. The question is not do we know what the word means. The question is have we done it? Some of you this morning are hearing things maybe that's new in your life. Maybe you haven't heard these things before. And to that I say, great, praise God. I encourage you to continue in the scriptures and find out and check it out. Are these things really true? Is what I'm telling you really true? Some of you, this is no old review. Okay, praise God. Peter writes this. He says, it's good that I remind you of these things. We need to be challenged. Second thing it says... He says, believe. Now, what is believe? You know, we have this mental ascension. We think, okay, believe. Yeah, I comprehend that. Yeah, I believe that. You know, it's rational. It's understandable. I have some insight on it. I believe. Yeah, fine, good. Biblical belief means it changes your life. It means you make a decision you trust. You have such confidence that you act on it. You move out on it. If you really believe, you will act on what you believe. If you really believe that God tells you not to worry, you're going to quit worrying. Oh, you'll be tempted to worry, but you're going to do what the Scripture says because you trust God. Scripture says, don't worry, but what? Let your concerns and your desires and your needs be manifested and revealed to God. And He will give you peace. So believe. It's an action. If your belief is not causing you to act, I hate saying this because every time I do, I convict myself. Well, actually, the Holy Spirit convicts me with my own words. If your belief is not causing you to take some form of action, it's a dead belief. It's of no value. True biblical belief will cause you to act. Therefore, let's go back to our illustration of the disciples. What, was, what were they doing? They believed what Jesus said. Now, they had reason to believe it because they had seen him before. They knew he was a rabbi. We'll get to that in just a moment. But they said, okay, I'm going to follow him. And they gave up everything else. They believed what Jesus said, and they followed him. They acted the woman who had the issue of blood, she believed if she touched his hem of his garment, she waded through the crowd and said, if I can just get to him, I'll be made whole. She believed. She worked her way through. The centurion who wanted his servant healed said to Jesus, said, listen, listen, I'm not worthy that you come to my house. You just say the word, I know my servant will be healed. Oh, and Jesus said, I've not seen that kind of faith in all of Israel believe. Repent, believe. Now, we do a pretty good job of talking about repentance and believing. The question is, are we actually repenting? Do we believe? And I challenge all of us, myself included. But then there's the third thing that Jesus said in this passage, and that is, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Now, listen, I know everybody in here, from the youngest to the oldest, knows what it means to follow. All right? You cannot follow somebody if you're going your own way. Now, has anybody ever heard, what's her name that's on the, uh, inside your phones? Siri? The, the lady that tells you where to go? Sometimes it's a guy, you know, the lady that's always telling me what to do. All right? She tells me, turn left. I don't want to turn left. I can't turn left. I'm not going to turn left. Am I following her directions? why why am i not following her directions i need to know where i'm going i think i know a better way you see right my favorite expression that she has is recalculating recalculating (laughs) my wife is our navigator a lot she'll tell us and so the thing will say turn left no, Mary, we don't need to turn left. I know where. It, no, no, it's not there. So the next thing she's standing there holding the phone like this going, recalculating, recalculating. <laughs> follow means you follow. You don't lead. You don't go your own way. How are you going to follow Jesus? You don't know where you're going. How are you going to get there if you don't know where you're going? How can you follow if you don't find out what the one who you are following wants. And that's where the scriptures come in. Oh, I just feel led. How many of you ever, have you ever tried that? Get in the middle of a city you've never been involved in before and just say, I feel led. Now, I'm not mocking the fact that the Holy Spirit leads. Definitely he does. But sometimes we just kind of want to super spiritualize everything, you know. We want it all spiritual and no, no mechanics involved at all. you got a direction right there telling you to turn right or turn left, whatever it is. And you're saying, I don't think that's the right way to go. And we end up in a mess. Now, I don't know if anybody out there identifies with this. I do. I get myself in more messes simply because I didn't follow. Jesus says, follow me. Nobody else. Follow me. So now we've established the fact that something special happened to Jesus at his baptism. We've established the fact that he's teaching a new teaching. It's a new covenant. He's bringing a whole new covenant into play. We understand that. We've heard that. We know we've been told that the basic building blocks of this is repent, believe, and follow. Do you know what it means to follow It means you're going to be a disciple of the one you're following. The Disciples, first century understood this. Rabbis had their students. Their students were their disciples. And the purpose of the disciple was to follow the rabbi. Where he went, you went. What he did, you did. If he stopped and ate, you stopped and ate. If he stopped and visited, you were standing right there with him. Whatever your, your rabbi was doing, you were right there with him. You were watching him. You were doing it. And the purpose of all that was is the, the, the rabbi is training the disciple. And get this, please. The rabbi is training the disciple to be just like him. Now, the disciple doesn't understand all of this. He just knows I'm supposed to follow. He doesn't understand why, always, that the the rabbi is doing what he's doing. But the rabbi is doing all of this to teach. Watch Jesus, how Jesus worked with his disciples. First of all, he would tell them something. I don't know about you, but every time I listen to Jesus tell his disciples something, I look at him and I go, gosh, guys, you're dense. Why didn't you pick that up? Hello, Sam, why don't you pick it up? I'm dense. I can see it in others. But I can't see it for myself sometimes. And then, how about this? How would you like to be a tr- on a trip with the disciples and Jesus? Just from the book, through the book of Mark. What he does is he takes them one day, he takes them out. He does some teaching and some preaching, and he says, Hey, listen, guys, put me in a boat, get me off the shore a little bit. Too many people are crowding in. So then he says, Okay, row on. Days over, they start rowing. Where are we going? Row. So they start. Gets dark. Nice storm comes up. Big storm. See if Galilee can happen in an instant. So, storm comes up, and guess what happens? Jesus is asleep. You know the story, right? Okay. How many of you have ever read that story and said, what were they worried about? Jesus was right there. Anybody here going to admit that they've ever done that? Few of you. Thank you. The few of you did this. I will do this. Okay. Why, Why are you worried? Jesus is right there. Why are you worried? Jesus is with you. Better yet, Jesus is in you. Through the Holy Spirit. So you see that all goes on. And the question comes why were they afraid? Because they saw what was going on around them more than they saw the, this, the Lord right there. And then God stands, Jesus stands up and says, Be still, and everything's calm. And the disciples are like freaked, okay? Whatever the newest word is, okay? They're like out of it. It's like, What? Who is this guy? They actually said that. Who is this guy? Even the winds and the and the sea obeys him. Well, they survive that. They go in. And Jesus takes them right out of the storm of the sea, according to Mark in his chronology. Okay, we're just going to follow his for fun. And he takes them right to the shore. And they get off. And what do they run into? A demoniac who breaks chains. Nobody can, cancel him. Nobody can hold him down. They've got him. He, he's always running around. Listen, I'm I'm thinking, here's the disciples. If this were Jesus, I think all the disciples got off and they saw this guy and they kind of went. A good place to be, by the way, because anything that's going to happen to you has to come through Jesus first. Think about that one. All right. So they go on. They get finished with that. Okay, guys, let's go over here. We're going to preach for a while. 5,000 people show up. Now, listen, we just came off a storm right into the middle of a demoniac. Now we're in the middle of 5,000 people, and Jesus says, feed them. Think about that. We get upset. We, We read these things as isolated cases. Listen, these things were what they were experiencing all along. And Jesus said, feed them. Well, we don't have anything. Well, what do you have? Well, we have a couple of fish and a couple of loaves, little bitty loaves and things. It's good, pass it out. And he does miracle after miracle after miracle. All the while, he's training his disciples, he's teaching them to be just like him. In fact, you can substitute and say it this way Jesus called Peter and Andrew, James and John, Levi. He told it to the uh, rich young ruler. The rich young ruler didn't follow him. Okay, so it wasn't just his charisma. It wasn't just some kind of aura around him. Because if that was the case, the rich young ruler would have followed him. No, but he called him. And he said, I will make you fishers of men. Who was the supreme fisher of men? Jesus basically is saying, follow me and I'll make you just like me. Now, you're not Jesus. Please don't go off on that, okay? No, 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 no. Okay. I'm going to let you, I'm going to work it in you. I'm going to do God's will so in you that when people see you, they will see Christ. They will experience the Holy Spirit. They will experience his love, his compassion through you. That's what we're talking about, right? And so Jesus says, I will make you like me. And so it becomes shorthand in this, this, rabbi, disciples, going to be just like the master, going to have the same understanding, going to have the same information, faith, compassion, all of the things that the rabbi has, all the things that the rabbi does, the disciples are going to be able to do that as well. That's what he says. I'm going to make you. And notice the key in that verse when he says, follow me and I will make you. It's I will make you, not you, will become what I think you should be. Got it? It's he's going to make us. How many of you know, seriously, and this is just a side comment because I want to introduce this little verse real quick. A side comment. How many of you know what the will of God is? How many of here are Christians? Come on. Now, this one, you ought to be raising your hand if you are. Don't not testify in church now. Come on, how many of you are Christians? How many of you know what the will of God is for Christians? You what? To be like Him. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I think it's verse 4, says this is the will of God, your sanctification. Our sanctification. God's will is that we be sanctified. How is He going to do that? Have you ever thought, how is God going to get me sanctified? I mean, this has got some rough work here. I've been at it 40 years, still at the beginner stage. Okay? How are we going to do that? How is he going to do that? By everything that comes into your life. Every trial, every hill, every valley, every mountaintop experience, every teaching, every sermon, everything that you experience is going to be used by God for your to make you sanctified to him. Nothing's going to be excluded. It's all going to be used. You think, well, what about the time when I get in sin? Well... How would God use that? Anybody here ever sinned? After you're a Christian. Everybody sinned before. But since you've been a Christian, anybody here just flat out blew it? I mean, you're walking along and boom, you're on your face. Actually, you made some decisions that were really poor. But anyway, you're on your face and you're sitting there and you're mortified. How in the world can this happen? I'm a Christian. What am I doing? Anybody here? Am I talking to anybody? Anybody? Anybody here walk away from that feeling a little condemned? Anybody here feel a little bit rejected? Anybody here feel a little bit like Peter when he denied Christ? Like, oh my gosh, the worst thing in the world you can do as a disciple is to deny deny your uh, rabbi. uh, Peter did it. Anybody here ever felt that you've blown it? That's it. That's it. God has no more grace for you. God has no more grace for you. Okay, am I the only one? I want your hands up if you really have been that way. Because I've got some good news for you. And I'm going to tell you a quick story and I'm going to end. All right? The quick story is this. Do you remember our head disciple, our lead guy, our vocal guy, Peter? Anybody here remember him? What did he say? Oh, Lord, I love you. I will follow you. Anyway. I will die for you. Right? you think he meant it absolutely he meant it have you ever said i'll do anything for you i will follow i will resist all temptations whatever your prayers are what you pray between god to seek with thoughts that you have you don't tell anybody else That god i'm gonna i will never do that again anybody here ever prayed that yes okay and then all of a sudden boom you've done it again or you've done something as equally heinous as you think god cannot forgive this one i'm done on this one It's over. And then Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. What does follow me mean? I still think you can be like me. That's what he told Peter. He started off at the sea, telling Peter, follow me. And that, by the way, is why he got out. They got out of the boat just because they believed and because they had for the first time in their life some rabbi coming along who had some confidence in them. First rabbi who ever accepted them. You see, if they had been accepted by other rabbis, they would have been in some rabbinical school somewhere. But they weren't, so they were out on the sea fishing. He went back to the vocation. You go back to the vocation when you got to the top part of your education and you wanted to be, maybe you wanted to be a rabbi or maybe you wanted to go learn more about the rabbinical ways or whatever and you applied to a rabbinical, uh, to a rabbi and you got rejected after rejection after rejection. You see, the, the way it was done is the rabbi sat back and the students, the very elite of course, came to him and said, Rabbi, I want to be one of your followers and he would grill them mercilessly mercilessly, okay, whatever the word is, (laughs) without mercy, he would, without mercy, he would do, and he would see if they really had what it took, because you see, the rabbi's purpose was, I want to make sure I only have disciples who can make me look good, I want to make sure he will hold my yoke you know what the yoke is his teaching he will be a good representative of me and he will represent my way the best all right and so these if these guys ever did try for rabbinical school they were rejected but here comes rabbi jesus who does it entirely differently jesus said it this way you didn't choose me i chose you he comes to you and me and each of us and he says follow me how many of you searched and hunted Jesus down? Ah, oh, I said, come on now, What's your theology here. All right? Uh-uh. Jesus, the hound of heaven, went after you. And the Holy Spirit worked on you. And one day you went, man, I need a Savior. Where, where, where is he? And you began to say, where's the Savior? I need some help here. And you were brought to the Lord. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit. He drew you. Jesus went out and sought his disciples. And what he told them, I have confidence that you can be what I've called you to be. Do you hear that today? Do I hear that today? Do we hear that today? Because you are a believer, God has said, I have confidence I can make you be what I want you to be. That ought to clear up a whole lot of issues in our life. Just that one revelation, I know for me, when I finally began to realize it, it cleared up a lot of issues in my life. I want you to be just like me. I have confidence you can do it. And so you are inspired, and you get up, and you run the race, and you're running well, and then something happens, some temptation, some thought, some idea, some Past background or something like that comes in, and in some manner or form, it gets you, and you are tumbling down on your face that quickly, and you're going, oh, my gosh, that's it. It's over. And God is in the background saying, yep, that was pretty bad. And you need to understand, that's horrible. That is not me. We need to understand sin. Sin. But we also need to understand what it says in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, get up and follow me. Amen. Oh, and by the way, remember the story on the sea when they had the fire and the guy Peter said, I'm going fishing, I've blown it, I'm going back to my old ways, I've blown it. And so they're out fishing, they don't catch anything. God calls them and come in. They, Jesus, Peter realizes it's Jesus. He comes running in. Finally, they all gather around this fire and they're eating. And Jesus looks at him and says, "Peter, you love me? I mean, that's like a dagger. Ugh, you love me? Of course I love you, Lord. Come on, Jesus. You know I love you. Peter, you love me? Lord, come on, man. You know I love you. Third time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. You know I do. I really do. Come on, man." And it's just painful for Peter until he hears these words. Follow me. Oh, by the way, don't worry about what other people are doing. You just follow me. Now, if there's anybody out here that really, when you say, I've I've blown it, and you thought it's kind of the end of your thing, believe me, I can raise my hand a couple of times on those, you know, hold them up. Almost shout hallelujah, not from a good way, but just from, yeah, you're right, this is me. Okay? And Jesus says, I still think you can follow me. How you do it? Repent. That means confess. Believe that I will forgive you, that I'm still in you. I still love you. I still have a purpose for you. I can still use you. Believe, believe, believe. Put it into action believe it enough that you get up let me tell you something i will i would never be able to stand up here and teach or preach if i didn't believe that because there are so many times the enemy myself my own flesh wants to just trip me up and usually right before sunday morning okay and a lot of times it works So that I just want to close the Bible, close my bag, pull covers over my head and say, you know, I think if I just don't show up, maybe they'll find somebody else. There's got to be somebody there that's instant in season and out of season. God says, no, I still think you can be like me. Repent, believe, and follow. Let's pray. Father, I don't know the hearts of people. You do. I don't know where people are. I just ask that you would take and seal what they need to hear, whatever anybody needs to hear this morning, Father. If they need to hear, repent, to come to you, to trust you like Peter and them, the very beginning, calling them out of their, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, to follow you. We ask, Father, that you'd seal it to their hearts. And, and, and Father, just give them the, the faith to go on. Father, there may be some here today that are wrestling, and just know that what I need to do is repent. I pray, Father, you give them repentance, and I pray, Father, there are those that maybe today just feel like they've been washed out, they've been excluded. Father, whatever the circumstances, it doesn't matter, that's between you and them, but the point is, for whatever reasons, they feel like they've they've lost it. Father, I pray they would hear you by the Holy Spirit say, follow me, I still think you can be what I want you to be. Father, we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.